After decades of strict population measures, China's stopped encouraging families to have just one child. Now the government wants more babies. The slowing birth rate has long been a concern for the Chinese government. And when the results of the country's latest census came out earlier this year, no one was too surprised with the findings. The birth rate remains weak and the population is getting older. And it's led to a slew of new policies meant to encourage a baby boom. But they're not all well received. I think the reason people are so shocked is that for decades they had a government congratulating them for having no more than one child. And now it's done a complete backflip and is saying that they should serve their country by having more children. So what's China doing to boost its population numbers? And how will it affect what happens in the bedroom? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Katrina Yu is Al Jazeera's correspondent in Beijing. And for the past few years, that's meant a lot of stories about the country's changing demographics. So when China's government mentioned abortion in a new set of guidelines it released on women's health, we called her up. Can you tell me about what was included in those guidelines and how they were received? So China's state council published a 10-year guideline on women's development. And this is a document that they release regularly. It's a lengthy document and overall it reads quite positively. There's nothing overly shocking from a distance. I mean, it talks about improving gender equality, improving sex education, access to contraception. It talks about making it easier for women to have families. But there was this one phrase that has caused a lot of concern. China is calling for limits on non-medical abortions. It's still unclear what constitutes a non-medical abortion. It said that as a part of the plan, China will aim to reduce abortions conducted for non-medical reasons. Now, there's still no clarity from the Chinese government as to how exactly this will be implemented, if there's going to be any strict enforcement, but it still has raised a lot of concerns, uh, specifically by women. Mm. So I've read that this was quite a lengthy document. How big was this section on the reduction in medically unnecessary abortions? You said it's a phrase, just one sentence? It's pretty much, yeah, it's exactly just this one short phrase that talks about this particular issue, yeah. And yet it's causing concern. Why is that? Well, the really interesting thing is that this is actually not the first time the government has included this line. The same phrase is mentioned in the last guideline on women's development. But what is so concerning this time is the context in which this phrase has been included. Because right now, China is facing a demographic crisis. Its population is rapidly aging. People are worried that the government is going to step in and use a very heavy hand to try to encourage more births, that something actually could happen this time. So what does access to abortion look like right now? Right now, generally in China, you could say that abortion is generally available. And some would argue it's more available than in some Western countries, including the US or Australia, for example. The exception to that is that in China, they have come down very hard 
on sex selective abortion. So in China, traditionally, there has been, like in many other countries, a preference for a male child, especially if you're going to have only one child. And there was a practice of aborting babies if they knew that it was a female. So in many hospitals in China, it's practically impossible to find out the gender of your baby before it's born. So there are some restrictions in some provinces, for example, Jiangxi province, there might be a requirement for three signatures to get an abortion. But by and large, in most cities, abortions are generally accessible and women have enjoyed this freedom for many years. And this context is why the new guidelines cause such a commotion. On Weibo, the Chinese social media site, some people worried there'd be more restrictions in the pipeline. And one person said the female body had become a tool. Activist groups like Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International are also concerned. Because, as Katrina said, this isn't the first time that the government has stepped into the realm of family planning. So China's founder of the Communist Party, Mao Zedong, when he came to power, he was actually very encouraging for families to have as many children as possible. He believed that the more babies were born would make China more powerful and more strong. China's population expanded by about 400 million under Mao. But his successor, Deng Xiaoping, had a different take. He wanted to make sure that the growth of China's economy kept up with the growth in the number of people. He wanted to look at advancing technology, really modernizing China. And he saw it uh, as crucial to limit the growth of the population. So in 1979, they announced China's controversial and iconic, I suppose, one-child policy, which started to be strictly enforced in the 1980s. The one-child policy dates back to 1979. The goal was to stabilize China's booming population. China calculates that its one-child policy helped avert some 400 million births. The way that the government enforced this one-child policy was through forced contraception, forced sterilization, and forced abortions. They also imposed very heavy penalties uh, for people who had more than one child. People were shamed. They were ostracized for not following this diktat. And there was even this thing called this uh, one-child glory certificate celebrating families who had one child and stopped. Of course, things were humming along until they weren't. Beijing has enforced birth limits for four decades, but it's now concerned that a demographic crisis could add to pressure on its economy. The demographic shift in China has significant economic and political implications for the world's second biggest economy. So when China reached the 2000s, specifically 2010 onwards, there started to be a lot of discussion about China facing a potential demographic crisis. So in 2015, the government made a change. Chinese authorities are lifting the country's long-standing one-child policy, allowing parents to have a second child if they choose. Now, this led to a kind of temporary bump in the number of births. But after that, even though families were given the ability to have more than one child, they weren't having more than one child. And China's birth rate has continued to fall since then. Earlier this year, the government changed the policy again. China is scrapping its policy, limiting couples to two children and will now allow them to have three. And the reception for this change was one of shock, disbelief, uh, 
very lukewarm response because many people here in China believe that having a third child is a privilege reserved for the rich because it's so expensive, especially in major cities, mm. to raise one child, let alone two or three. So, of course, it's a very personal decision for each family, but is what you're describing why in 2016 we didn't see the birth rate rise that dramatically? Now, I think the cost of raising a child in China is for many people the biggest deterrent to having more than one child. There's enormous pressure when it comes to the cost of education, extracurricular activities, just because the highly competitive nature of China's education system. And the expensive nature. Experts say China's decision to allow couples to have up to three children may not actually do much to grow the younger population. They point to the high cost of living and education. So really this cost of living and the inability of people to provide for more than one child, I think, is the biggest barrier. And another barrier is for many women who are increasingly educated now here in China, they're choosing to have a career. And unfortunately, many workplaces still strongly discriminate against women having babies. And it's very difficult for women to take a break uh, from their career, have a child and re-enter the workforce. They don't have that security. So while the government might be encouraging couples to have children, What is it like to become an unmarried parent in China? Unmarried pregnancies in China remain taboo. In China, there's a very fixed expectation that marriage is something that happens between a man and woman, and then they have a child within the institution of marriage. Unmarried women in China are not given access to reproductive services. They can't access IVF sperm donation, they can't freeze their eggs to enable them to possibly have children in future as a single parent. The Chinese government would say that that boils down to not wanting to encourage women to put off having babies because these technologies are unreliable. But a lot of it, I think, is to do with these very conservative cultural attitudes towards having children. Like any policy, the barrier to accessing reproductive services, like in vitro fertilization or egg freezing, isn't felt equally. For those who have the financial resources, wealthier women, they're able to go overseas and go to countries where they can freely access their services. So there have been many stories of women going to Australia, for example, getting pregnant there and bringing their child back to China. But while those women might go abroad, some unmarried women have been waging a fight within China to get the same benefits that married people might get. So there's this woman, Teresa Xu in Beijing, and she approached a hospital and asked them to help her freeze her eggs. At the time, she didn't have a partner, and she wanted to be able to have children without having a partner or without getting married. But the hospital refused, so Teresa Xu filed a lawsuit She filed her case against the public hospital that turned her away in 2019. It was delayed for a while, thanks in part to the pandemic. But in September of this year, she was finally heard in court. Here she is last month. I don't have much time to waste. I'm an ordinary single woman, and these past three years were very important to me. 
If I win, I hope I can help other women to save years of their life. In the future, in China, if single women want to have their eggs frozen, they can do it. When I interviewed Teresa Shu outside the courthouse, she was optimistic that the judge would rule in her favor precisely because China is facing a demographic crisis and the government is trying to encourage more children to be born. Teresa's lawsuit is a landmark case. It's the first time an unmarried woman in China has used the court to push for access to fertility services. But there have been other cases filed by other single women who have tried to get other maternity benefits, like the case of Sarah Gao. In 2016, she found that she was pregnant through a boyfriend and she decided to go forward with the pregnancy. But her attempt to take paid maternity leave from her company turned into a battle. Sarah lives in Beijing, where a company files for maternity benefits on behalf of the worker. She wasn't married. Her employer said that she wasn't able to access maternity benefits. The company said that without a marriage license, they couldn't submit her application to the state. So she wasn't paid for that time, and she applied in the courts for maternity leave, and she so far has not been successful. However, there was another woman in Shanghai, and we know her last name to be Zhao. And she was successful in arguing for maternity leaves, even though she was unmarried. And I guess what this highlights is that the application of these guidelines throughout China is very patchy. There doesn't seem to be a consistency, depending on what city, what province you're in. And I think that is another thing that is so concerning to activists in the women's rights movement, because if there is a restriction on abortions, this could be inconsistently applied throughout China in the future. All of these policy changes from the one-child policy to the move away from that policy are happening within the span of just a couple of generations. So what do these shifts mean for the way that people view family units? Historically in China, like in many other countries, it was a point of pride to have a large family where there's many generations living under one roof or living in the same community. But now people are used to a very small family unit. They're used to a mother, a father, and one child. For many in my generation, born in the 1980s, they don't have any siblings. It's difficult to imagine having two children, let alone three That's obviously having an impact on the way kids, like this 10-year-old, want to grow up with playmates. Now, I'm the only child in my family, and I really hope my parents can give birth to a younger brother or younger sister. I feel lonely when I play games by myself. If I have more younger brothers and sisters, we can play group games. Decades of the one-child policy changed more than just the nuclear family. It's not only going to be rare for people to have siblings, it's going to be rare for them to have cousins or aunts and uncles. So the week that this three-child policy came in, I was rushing after work because I had a salon appointment and I was talking to my hairdresser and I was explaining that this was a story that we were working on. And her response to hearing about this, she she rolled her eyes and she was like, oh, (laughs) ridiculous, like ridiculous. She said it was crazy to even think that families could have more than two children. (laughs) It it was as if somebody had said, oh, yeah, let's grow another arm. It just seemed beyond (laughs) the concept of reality. 
And this is the same response I get in China, not the word ridiculous, of course. I come from a very big family, so my family is Chinese, Filipino, and I was basically raised in Australia, and I have four siblings. I grew up in a house with five siblings. And when I tell people this in China, they're just flabbergasted. They, they don't know what to say. They just think that's out of this world to have a family that big. And people are just shocked. While the Chinese government is worried about the large-scale impact of an aging population, individual Chinese families are feeling that burden too, and in a more intimate way. Even though Chinese families have been shrinking, cultural attitudes to caring and responsibility in families has not changed. So in China, it's not a very popular option to have your parents, your elderly parents, live in nursing homes unless they're very sick or unable to take care of themselves. Generally, the expectation is that children will take care of their elderly parents. You've seen a creation of what people call the sandwich generation, where you have a couple who is squeezed between taking care of their child, but also squeezed between two sets of elderly parents that they also have to take care of. This squeeze is already a source of anxiety for some of the people who grew up in the one-child era, like this 29-year-old mother. For my generation, most of us are the only child in our family. If I give birth to a third child, it's just like those online jokes say. When my children go up and I am 60 years old, by that time, I will have four parents and three children. It's really huge pressure. These changes have happened so quickly that many people can still vividly remember the effects of the one-child policy. They still vividly remember forced abortions, forced sterilization, forced contraception, and the pain and suffering caused by this one-child policy. So to have the government now suddenly say, oh, that's all done, that's all in the past, now things are going to change without necessarily providing the support or that concrete change in policy. It has many people rolling their eyes, many people angry that they're being told how they should have a family. They are worried that there will be no end to this. I think in China generally, people are increasingly frustrated that the government sees it within their remit to step in and control people's personal freedoms or to an extent their personal activities, even extending into the bedroom. Curtailing educational freedoms, civil freedoms is one thing, but really when you step into the family, which is such a personal, intimate thing, the choice to have children or not to have children, some people really feel frustrated because it does seem like a step too far. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai, Wadina Kispe, Ruby Zaman, Priyanka Tilbe, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Tom Fenton is our story editor. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya Al-Milek is our engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back. <laughs> 